Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com. Back once again for another Bible conversation. Although, this week, it's just me again. And I'm doing my best to get some guests lined up so that I can have some good, healthy conversations with a guest. This time, it's just you and me. So I'll take the role of speaker, and I guess you can take the role of listener and questioner in your mind. And uh, if there is things in here that are interesting to you, you can always reach out to me. Several of you have my phone number. You can just shoot me a text. You can also look me up on Facebook Messenger. Pure and Simple Bible is my Facebook handle there. And uh, if all else fails, you can email me at pureandsimplebible at gmail.com. So uh, I wanted to spend some time talking about the idea of a perfect church and imperfect people. That's a phrase that we commonly hear and commonly use, myself included. I mean, I literally just preached this. Uh, I've been preaching it for several years. You know, the idea behind how the church is perfect, but it's made up of people who are not perfect. But there's a new twist to it that I want to bring to you today. And and, um, I think the idea is valid perfect church, imperfect people. What I'm concerned about is that we lean into the idea of imperfection so much that maybe we're forgetting the biblical mandate that God has given about perfection. And and we've kind of rebranded perfection as unobtainable and not worthy of our time. And I want us to reconsider that. I want us to consider what the Bible teaches about perfection and how it is a positive attribute and not one that we excuse ourselves of saying, well, that's not for me. So um, I'm going to maybe just talk with you for a little bit about what I what I preach in this Bible study and then ended up with maybe a, a rebranding, I think a more biblical rebranding of that phrase, perfect church, imperfect people. You know, uh, the church is perfect, and that's where we should always begin the conversation is with how the church is perfect. I love First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, the church, uh, that, that word, Ecclesia, really it means a community of people who've assembled together, and that's it. But we have a lot of maybe uh, different ways that we use the word church. What I want to use it with you today is the idea of a people who've been called out. So Ecclesia is a group of people who've been called out and assembled together. We've been called out of the world, and we assemble together in Christ and you know, we literally assemble together on the first day of the week, and, and we also give opportunity, many congregations do, for a midweek Bible study. Usually it's on Wednesday, but I'm familiar with some places that have it on Thursday or Friday. Um, but we're called out of darkness and into the kingdom of his marvelous light. And so the church is perfect because it's the perfect bride of Christ. It's always been a part of God's plan 
you can look at Daniel 2 and Zechariah 6. It's always been a part of God's plan. The church is perfect because it belongs to Jesus, Ephesians 5, Colossians 1. Jesus, he calls it his church. On this rock I will build my church, Matthew 16, verse 18. And uh, so even in, in the book of Acts, um, I use this one many times, how the Lord adds to the church daily those who are being saved, Acts 2, 47. To be saved is to be added to the church. The church is perfect. And yet many times uh, people become disenchanted with the church because of how people treat them. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, people leave. And I, I don't know who's all listening to this. Maybe some of you have left. And someone has shared this podcast with you. And so you're listening um, from the view of someone that's walked away. Um, my understanding is that a lot of people that listen to this program are members of the Lord's Church. And so maybe you've seen them go. And what we hear many times uh, when it's a personal issue, you know, some people do walk away because of a lack of faith or that they no longer believe in the Bible. Uh, they no longer trust that God is real. That's worthy of a different discussion. In fact, apologetics, the idea of, of giving a, a reason for the hope that lies within. I've talked about it many times. There's several apologetics podcasts. If that interests you, then reach out to me and I can help give you resources for that type of a walk away. What I'm thinking about is people who blame the church. And even though the Bible talks about how the church is perfect, people are quick to say, you know what? Uh, the church is full of hypocrites. They lack love. There's a hateful spirit in the church of Christ. There's a holier than thou attitude. People are just so backwards. They're closed minded. They're judgmental. You know, all of these reasons that we're really, it's an interpersonal problem, but it's given to the church, like the church is this. And that is maybe where I'm trying to uh, advocate for a perfect church made up of people who make mistakes. And my heart goes out to those people. I have friends I have family who at one time were members of the church and now are, are no, no longer. And it, it really hurts. It, it is a deep pain, one that you have to either bury or, uh, you know, bear. Many times just to, you're, you, it brings you down because it's people that you love and you care about. But sometimes it's easy for those who remain in the Lord's church, and we value the perfection that the church is, what the Bible is, the, the pattern, etc. It's easy for us to look at those as though, you know, they are the ones with the problem. They're the ones that have the skewed view. We don't have the skewed view because we're still here. And so, brother, sister, I just want to tell you something. I think many times there is legitimacy to their... Uh, concerns. And I think sometimes they have been treated hypocritically. They have been treated with the hateful spirit. Maybe there has been a holier-than-thou attitude. I, I mean, I don't know everybody's heart. I can't tell you for a fact these things have happened. But just in the, I guess if I'm using experience, then I would say yes. There's times when I, I'm just using myself, I've been a hypocrite. I've been hateful. I've had a holier-than-thou attitude. I've been judgmental. 
And so it's not, I think, too far out of the, the question to think, is it possible for us who are Christians to treat people um, in a way that hurts them? And so here's the way I want you to think about people who've left and use the excuse, well, the church is just so hateful. I think in their heart, this person is really communicating, I'm hurt, I'm confused, I feel alone, everyone seems to have it together except me, and instead of communicating that primary emotion, really they're communicating a secondary emotion, and, and they will take that pain and that heartache, and they need to apply it to something, and that is calling uh, members of the church hypocrites or, um, you know, full of a hateful spirit. And then it brands the church as that. And so, again, today we're just talking about the idea of a perfect church and how it's made up of imperfect people, because that's what oftentimes we, we respond with. Well, it's a perfect church with imperfect people. And I want you to think about what we're saying when we say imperfect people. We're going to get to that, but let me ask you this question. Is this only a problem that we have today? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about how when we're dealing with folks who maybe are hurt and they leave the church, is this like a 21st century American problem? And, and I will suggest to you that the Bible uh, shows us, even in the first century, that it was a perfect church made up of people who had problems. And we can see several examples of that. And uh, what I'd like to do is maybe contrast a scripture with uh, another scripture. So we'll consider a scripture that talks about the perfection of the church, but then a scripture that shows that the people in it were not consistent in the first century sometimes. And it would be easy to accuse them of being hypocrites and unloving and cruel and judgmental, the same way that, that people often accuse Christians of that today. So um, if you're taking notes, you know, if you're at that point, or if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, let me just read this scripture to you. It's Acts 20, 28. It says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Did you catch that last part? how the church was purchased with his own blood and that God the Son, that is Jesus, sees so much value, so much worth in the church that he would purchase it with his own blood. That's perfection. That shows the value of the church of Christ. It is his blood-bought church. And yet, you look in, I read that from the book of Acts. Uh, You look earlier in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, And you're going to see an account of Ananias and Sapphira, two people who attempted to cheat the apostles by bringing some money for the needy saints and then lying about its amount. Uh, Peter calls them out saying, you know, you didn't lie against us. You lied against the Holy Spirit. And, And they both fall down dead, Ananias and Sapphira, at two different times. Um, but what, what could an observer, somebody who's kind of jaded think about that narrative, you know, Let's try to put ourselves in the shoes of of somebody that's looking at it from a frustrated perspective. You know, they might say something like, you know what, Christians are liars. Look at Ananias and Sapphira. They're they're just a bunch of liars. Or maybe they'd say, 
oh, they're greedy. You know, they didn't want to give all their money. Well, maybe they might look at Peter and the apostles and say, wow, how unloving, how cruel. And so I, I, I ask you to maybe go there with me, thinking about that jaded perspective, because that sure does sound like people today, doesn't it? It sounds like people who have, you know, that that happened, and there's a lot of pain associated with Ananias and Sapphira's account. And so um, to have that view, I think it's easy to fall into that that mindset of it's throwing up your hands and saying, well, you know, the church is just full of a bunch of unloving and cruel people. It happened in the first century. It happens today. I want to give you another example. And this example uh, is about one of the apostles who are supposed to be men who had the keys to the kingdom, right? Um, Ephesians 2, 19 and 20 is a great scripture that talks about the perfect church. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built in the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You know, that scripture shows uh, in, in context that Jews and Gentiles came together to be a family. They were a house, a house built of all different kinds of people. And uh, we have similar struggles that they did. You know, theirs was more of a, a cultural, if we want to call it racial, there was, there was something that had to be overcome and that was that the Jews and the Gentiles had to kind of lay down uh, their differences and unite in Christ. And certainly we can relate to that in the 21st century today. There may be times whenever there is uh, racial or cultural or social, whatever, factors that it, it, we, we might use those to divide. But we're called to be the household of God and be united. And, you know, I couldn't imagine, I, I honestly couldn't imagine in, in the Lord's church, and maybe this is just my naivety, I, I will admit that, that I'm, I can be quite naive, but I couldn't imagine having a church lunch where somebody walked up to someone else and said, you, you can't eat with us because fill in the blank. You know, you can't eat with us because of the color of your skin. You can't eat with us because of your uh, social views. You can't eat with us because of, of, of your cultural background, your heritage. I mean, I can't imagine that happening. We know that it happens. I mean, even here in the United States, there's, there is still so much strife around uh, racial identity, social identity. You can go just look back. It wasn't, what, 60 years ago, 50 years ago, that there were signs put up that said no blacks allowed, right, white only. And so we're not that far removed from a time when businesses openly practice discrimination. And yet we're not alone in that. And yet sometimes we might think that's a 21st century problem. I want you to think about the Apostle Peter in Galatians 2. Peter, the guy who had the keys to the kingdom, the guy who just told Ananias and Sapphira in our last narrative uh, that they had lied against the Holy Spirit, he 
in Galatians 2, refuses to eat with Gentiles. He's the one who brought Gentiles into the church previously in Acts chapter 10. This is a great man of faith, and yet he becomes a hypocrite, and so much so that he leads everyone except Paul away in this hypocrisy of, of not allowing the Gentiles and the Jews to commingle and eat together. So Paul has to rebuke him. That's, that's Galatians 2, 11 through 21. It's Paul's rebuke of Peter and the others. And, you know, I could imagine somebody who had a jaded perspective that has been hurt, uh, maybe several of, the, of those Gentile Christians, maybe they were thinking, you know what, these, these Jews, these Christians, they're just hypocritical bigots. They're racist. They're elitist. They only care about themselves. It would be very easy to think that. And so here we are uh, 2,000 years ago seeing perfect church made up of people who definitely were not perfect. Now, I have other examples, but I, I think I'm going to move on to make my final point. And um, maybe we could have a further conversation if you feel like it needs to be. You, you know, Again, I think I told you earlier on, you can reach out. You got my number, holler at me. If you got my email, pureandsimplebible at gmail.com, reach out to me. And uh, I think this is worthy of further conversation. The problem is whenever it's just a guy with his microphone, it may not sound like um, there's discourse happening. It's just one guy talking. So I want us to consider maybe um, some application from what we've just talked about. So we've seen that the church is perfect. Uh, hopefully there's scriptures that we've mentioned, scriptures that you are aware of, that shows that the church is perfect. But we've also seen examples of people that have fallen short of that perfection. And so when we say, well, that it's a perfect church, but it's imperfect people, I think what we're trying to communicate is that there is a standard, and that standard is worthy of us trying to, to reach it. But there's also the reality that we're in the flesh and that we fall short. So I want to give you four takeaways, if you will, four takeaways that have scriptures with them from the things that we've talked about so far. So are you ready? Number one, the first takeaway is this. A perfect church does not produce flawless Christians. Okay? It's time, I've, I've talked about it, um, some, but now it's time to specifically explain why. It's time to rebrand that idea of imperfect because the Bible calls us to be perfect. Have you, have you thought about that? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 47 and 48, right? It's a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus ends this, this section where he's talking about praying for your enemies, loving your enemies, that we're supposed to, to do these things. And his reasoning is, Therefore, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So when we say, you know, it's a perfect church, but we're imperfect people, maybe, maybe I'm just having a, a semantical argument with myself, but I, I think we're not doing our cause any favors when we keep it limited to it's a perfect church made up of imperfect people. Because the Bible calls us to perfection. And um, 
that's why we're going to rebrand it as as a perfect church does not produce flawless Christians. We need to talk about what biblical perfection is and uh, maybe what our mindset that's different from the Bible about perfection is. Okay? Biblical perfection carries with it in Greek, it's got synonyms that often are translated differently in verses, but they're all the same Greek word. And it's the idea of maturity and completion. Okay? And the idea of biblical perfection is not this idea of flawlessness. And that's how we often translate it is, well, if I'm if I'm going to be perfect, that means I'm flawless. I'm like a diamond, this you know, perfect diamond. There's no flaws. I'm this perfect you know, uh, vase. There's no chips. There's no cracks. It's flawless. And that sense of the word perfect is what we need to avoid. A perfect church does not produce flawless Christians. We know that because in 1 John 1, verse 7 through 9, the apostle talks about how if any of us do sin, then we have an advocate and we can confess our sins and, and God will be faithful to forgive them. So the Bible tells us we're going to sin. We recognize we're not um, flawless, but rather we're flawed. However, we, are, we may be flawed, but here's my second takeaway. If you're taking notes or you're making a mental count of them, the second one is, is tied uniquely to the first, and that's this. Flawed Christians do not lower the standards of a perfect church. Okay? And, and herein lies the difference. I think most people who are religious, so I'm, I'm including in this maybe uh, all Christ-oriented people, use that perfect church, imperfect people, with the idea of we're never going to measure up. And, then, and, and they kind of leave it there. We're never going to measure up. We're never going to make it. Uh, let's celebrate how great God is and how you know, uh, imperfect we are. But what the Bible teaches is that there is a standard and that that perfect church, the, the perfection that we're seeking biblically, you know, in Greek is one of maturity and one of completion. And so we're always doing our best to move towards it. Uh, I think about 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. It's profitable for several things. And after its profitability, it's explained that every man be complete. You look at the old King James, I think it says that every man be perfect. And the idea is there is that, we, that we're completed. We have every resource available to us through the inspiration of the Word. So yes, we're flawed, but that doesn't give us excuse to sin. Which command, if I were to ask you, which command is too hard for you to obey? Now, some of us have struggles and temptations, and we are maybe have an inclination to where some things we're tempted with more than others. I get that. I totally get it. But which sin, which command... Uh, to not sin, which one of those is one that you have absolutely no ability to control? And when we answer that question, the expectation that I have in that answer is that really uh, all of them are obeyable 
that's a word. They're all obeyable. But it's me and the flesh that is battling against my spirit that that chooses to disobey God and chooses to sin. And that's what makes it odious, right? And this choice doesn't lower the standard of a perfect church. We can't say, well, we're just imperfect people. God has a standard, and he wants us to obey it. I want to actually read the scripture. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 19. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I will uh, read a lot of it. And I want you to, to think about it with me. Listen to Peter say here in verse 13, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it's written, Be holy, for I'm holy. God is being quoted here in 1 Peter chapter 1. God is being quoted from the Old Testament where he gives this command, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Does that mean we say, you know what? I don't have to be holy, because I'm not perfect. No. First Peter 1 gives us so many examples about how we're supposed to get our minds prepared and be sober and and put our hope fully upon the grace that comes through Jesus, that we're not going to conform to the way things used to be, but we are to be holy in all of our conduct. I love that verse 14. We're not conforming ourselves to former lusts, right? Christians don't say, because I'm not perfect, I'm just not even going to try. And that's the second takeaway is that flawed Christians do not lower the standard of a perfect church. We value that the church is perfect. Okay? But here, listen to the third takeaway of today's study. What I want you to get out of this. Number three, flawed Christians highlight the source of perfection. Now, here, this is a mindset point, but the idea here is we don't work out our salvation in a way where we feel like it's owed to us. None of us will stand before God in judgment and say, you'd better let me in heaven because I did this, this, and this, and this. That is a works-based faith. That's a pharisaical type of faith. One where we don't trust in the Lord, but rather we say, I'm going to do these things and I'll save myself. May it never be said that the Lord's people try to do that. Flawed Christians highlight the source of perfection because as we are trying to mature, trying to complete ourselves, trying to perfect ourselves in Christ, we see that we are in the flesh, we see that we fall short, and yet we see this standard that we're supposed to be aiming for, this, stand, this godly standard that says, be perfect as God is perfect, be holy as I am holy, the Lord says. And while we're moving towards the cross, it shows that God is the source of perfection. And when my eyes are on that prize, and I'm not making excuses for my flaws, but I'm also recognizing that I just there are times when I can't seem to get it right, that makes the source of perfection that much brighter. Think about 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. I know this is in a 
a context of Paul talking about this physical impairment or an infirmity that he has. But he prayed that the Lord would take it away. Listen to what the Lord says in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Did you see that? My strength is made perfect in weakness. The source of perfection. Jesus' perfection. That strength is made perfect in our weakness. Because when we recognize that it's not of ourselves, but rather it's of Christ, and that perfection comes through Christ, and not this list of things where if I do those things, I, I demand that I get to go to heaven. We recognize that, wow, God is great. And I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of this. And as, as Luke 17, verse 10 says that, wow, I'm just unprofitable. I'm a servant doing that which... I've been called to do. You know, there's one more scripture I, I want you to think about. It's in 2 Corinthians, and it's uh, in chapter 4. And in chapter 4, verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Man, I love that scripture. It, it is one of my favorites. And the reason that it is so good is because it explicitly says the excellence of the power is in God. You and I are just a jar of clay. And that's why I like to use the word flawed because the vessel, this jar of clay, oftentimes does have uh, chips and imperfections and cracks. It's flawed. But it has within it something special, a treasure. And that is the, the message, the power, and the excellence that God has given through Jesus Christ. And so think about how, first, uh, a perfect church does not produce flawless Christians. So we've rebranded what imperfect means. I'm wanting us to take the conversation away from, well, perfect church, imperfect people. And I'm wanting us to say, you know what, we recognize we're not flawless. But we also recognize that in our flaws, the church is still perfect. And we're not going to lower its standard to make excuses for ourselves. In fact, being flawed highlights how perfect God is and how he's the source of perfection. And so the final point that I have is this, the final takeaway. Flawed yet perfected Christians make excellent personal evangelists. You know, since the source of perfection is not in us, when the Bible commands us to be perfect, there's a transformation that's happening. And so I think it's biblical to say that we're flawed, but we're perfected. We've been transformed. We've been regenerated. We are that jar of clay that was a lump of dough at one time, or a lump of clay, not dough. One time we were conformed to the pattern of this world, but now we've been transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are flawed, but perfected. And I want you to think about that phrase. That's going to be the phrase that I'm hanging my hat on from now on. But I, I need to go through this fourth point real quick, and that is that flawed but perfected Christians make excellent personal evangelists. 
Did you think about that? How your flaws and yet your perfected nature combined is what makes you so powerful in the lives of your friends and family. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14 through 16, Paul talks about his own flawed yet perfected nature. And I want you to listen to it. He says in verse 15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. If Paul stopped right there, by the way, what he would be saying is, well, Jesus is perfect and I'm not. You're right, right? Perfect church, imperfect people. But look what he says next, verse 16. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me, first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul says, I obtained mercy so that I could be an example for everyone else that when we come flawed and broken to Jesus Christ, he will mend us. He will perfect us. And the perfection, the source of it being Jesus, the source of it being divine and not from us, the source being there, that gives them the authority and the power and the right to perfect us. And now we are flawed yet perfected. We are broken yet mended. We are dead and alive again through Jesus Christ. And because of that, you have something very special to share with other people. And I'll just say this. I'm not a fan of testimony time in the assembly. My understanding in the Church of Christ, we don't practice that. So for those of you who are not, are not members of the Church of Christ, you, you wouldn't see it if you came into our assemblies. But I have been to places where people practice this idea of testimony. And it's the idea of, of somebody getting up and before the whole group just talking about what what God did in their life. And I have personal reasons. Um, this may be just more of an opinion than anything else, but um, I've always had kind of just a, I don't know, a spider sense tingle or a red flag. It just seems very um, self-oriented, right? Their, their praise is in the person and not in the Lord. So I'm, I'm not an advocate of the public testimony. I am an advocate of private testimonial, of talking to your friends and your family, whether that's one-on-one or at dinner, out in the front yard with your neighbor, when you're out on a jog with someone, when you're at work and it's break time and you're talking, you know, using that opportunity to express, I am flawed yet perfected through Christ. And that helps me, and you fill in the blank, you know, for people who struggle with anxiety and depression to accept that you're flawed and that the perfection comes from Christ oftentimes brings the peace of mind that so many in this world are missing out on. And since it's uh, easy for people to feel guilty and hurt and broken, what an excellent opportunity for you to share with them. You know what? I have been where you are. Sometimes I am where you are. I'm flawed, but I'm perfected in Christ. When, when people want to know about the gospel, let me tell you, and I think I've said this on here before, um, sometimes I feel like a broken record, but rarely, if ever, have I ever converted someone from a sermon in front of a, 
group that's gathered together at church. Almost every single, if not all, conversions that I've been a part of are because behind the scenes, I had been studying with them for months, weeks, or somebody locally had been studying months or weeks. You know, I have been a part of people who've been baptized at gospel meetings that I'll go and preach and somebody will come forward and they'll want to get baptized. But that person typically has been studying or working with a family member or friend locally. And I just happened to say something that, you know, put them over the edge. But the idea is personal evangelism matters. And you make an excellent personal evangelist when you are able to share how you're flawed yet perfected. And so, in conclusion, the idea of perfect church, imperfect people, I think it's a nice phrase. Um, I think it can be used accurately, but it's also really easy to misconstrue the message. And so I think there's a better way to communicate it than perfect church, imperfect people. The Bible tells us to be perfect. And so I guess that's the, maybe the, the main source of my struggle with this phrase is that the Bible tells me to be perfect. So if I'm expressing to others, well, I'm not perfect. The Bible's calling for me to be perfect. And so what I need to be communicating to them is that, yes, I recognize I'm flawed. I'm flawed that I, I mess up. I never am able to live consistently. I seem to fall short all the time. I'm flawed. But that doesn't tell the whole story. We're only telling half the story because we're flawed and perfected. And that's the second half, is that through Jesus Christ, we are perfected. And this perfection allows us to live in such a way where we have peace because on our own we could never achieve it, but with Christ and through Christ, we have all good blessings. This is, you know, Paul, when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he had something very specific in mind about being in prison and all the different ways that he could survive and thrive because he had Christ. And, and I think that applies here as we wrap this up as well. We're flawed yet perfected people. We're part of a perfect church. There's something special about the Lord's church. And so when people walk away from it and they have excuses about hypocrisy and uh, hateful spirit, judgment, uh, etc., instead of just kind of shaking our heads and saying, you know what, they don't see the church for what it really is, let us think about how they're looking at our flaws, our warts, our ugliness that we bring to the table. And so we acknowledge to them, and if you have that conversation to do it, acknowledge to them, hey, I'm flawed. But also give them the hope, the hope of the perfection that comes in Christ when we say, you know what? It's a perfect church, and I'm flawed, but I'm also perfected in Christ, and you can have that too. So this is maybe part one of this type of a conversation, and I'd love to have part two or three or four later, um, but I'd love to hear from you about it. So if this resonates with you and if you've considered these scriptures before uh, and maybe this rebranding of perfect and imperfect to perfect and, and flawed yet perfected 
this is something that resonates with you, reach out to me. Let me know. I'd love to hear from you and uh, get your thoughts on this as we try to make a biblical case for a perfect church and the Lord's people as we often fail, but we try to follow his standard. So that's it for today. And you can go to the website and check out all the resources that are there for you to use and download absolutely free. So check it out. And always remember, God loves you very much. And I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true. About a judge by the name of Gideon, he was a man like me and you. Well,